Super Talk Mississippi media production. Spring is in the air, and that means it's time to refresh your wardrobe with the season's hottest trends at the Black Sheep Boutique. Don't blend in this spring. Stand out with the Black Sheep Boutique with two locations to serve you in Tupelo or Saltillo or online at theblacksheepboutiquetupelo.com. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning to you. How you doing? On a Thursday, we are very close to not just a weekend, but a holiday weekend, which I think we could all use right about now. We could use a holiday weekend every weekend. Let's just be honest about it. Dave Hughes in the chair here in the Alamo Wealth Studios on Middays. Over in the booth, as always, my buddy Rhino. How you doing, sir? Howdy, howdy. How's life treating you? All pretty good. I'm Woke up early this morning and watched an episode of the live-action One Piece on Netflix, so I got my day started well. I was going to ask you if you had done that yet and what your thoughts were as the resident One Piece expert in the building. Uh, it's The first episode was amazing, so I can't wait to binge the rest of it when I get done with work today. Is it going to be like everything else, though? At some point, they're going to vary from the source material a little too much for the expediencies of, of television and live media, especially, and tick you off. Mm, maybe, but they've already deviated from the story in the first episode, and they did it so well, it didn't really bother me. Well, and that's the trick. I mean, because there is no way to take a novel and translate it word for word in a in a movie or a TV show. No. It just doesn't work that way. Nobody has the budget to equal the special effects gear you have in your head while you're reading. So, there's always going to be some changes. It's just dependent upon whether or not they do them in such a way that it doesn't pull you out of it and just ruin it and tick you off. I've had that happen so many times. It's really aggravating. I felt that way sometimes when the Harry Potter movies were coming out because I was like, I read these books. There's there's parts of this story you could have put in there. It wouldn't have taken too much time, and it would have made it a lot better. And other parts that you just completely mischaracterized. Yeah. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And then he wasn't screaming at him. Okay, sorry, we're getting off on the wrong foot already this morning. We got, <laughs> I got to geek out a little bit. Got all sorts of stuff to talk. Well, I'm going to geek out a little bit later, too, uh, because someone repeated an experiment from uh, about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they raced uh, the Internet versus a pigeon. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Somebody did it again. Uh, same results, by the way. It's exactly what you would expect results-wise. The Pigeon One, we'll, we'll talk about it in terms of transporting data from one location to another, who could get it there quicker. It wasn't even close. That was the best part. We'll get to that later. Uh, when I was here last week filling in for Paul, uh, talked with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sean Cross down with the Hurricane Hunter uh, aircraft squadron. I don't know if you heard about this, but they actually got grounded while Adelia was coming in, right at the end, the final mm. final fly-through, fly from what I understand, was by an Air Force plane. 
because they have three airplanes in the Hurricane Hunter Reconnaissance Program. Two of them were being repaired. The third one was flying in, doing all its stuff that it had been doing, and then had a generator failure, and they had to take it back. Couldn't go back out again. So a little bit of a hiccup there, but it's a rare hiccup. Yeah, but it is unusual. Have you ever heard of that happening? It's just one of those things where all the dominoes lined up exactly right, and one got pushed over and the whole thing came to a stop. But that's okay. I would like to say uh, Colonel Cross was not the pilot when all of that happened uh, because, you know, through sheer willpower, I'm pretty sure Cross would have just kept it up in the air. Just through grit, he would have kept it up in the air. I'm a Colonel Cross fan. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I very much am. I just wanted to point that out. We still got the data. They sent, as I said, an Air Force airplane in there to uh, record and get the data that the National Weather Service needed as it was uh, you know, coming into things. But they did have a hiccup. That's according to reporting from the Washington Post. So just wanted to, to put that out there because of the conversation we had just last week. My theory... Because after we got off the air, if you recall, last week I was talking with Colonel Cross and uh, still pushing to get that fly along. Uh, after the show, he confirmed that that was a go. That can happen. That's going to happen. Uh, and then right after that, they started having mechanical failure. So I'm sure it's my fault in some way. The planes went, wait, you invited who? Nah, I'm out. And just park themselves. That's my theory. I'm not going to tell them that because then they might rescind the invitation. You just need to get a, a shirt made with the little airplane goblin from the Bugs Bunny cartoon and, and wear that on your flight. I mean... With the little hammer hitting the bomb. Yes. Yes. And just to confuse people, mix up my Looney Tunes quotes and have something right below it says, Where is the earth-shattering kaboom? Just to make people do a double take. Wait, the kaboom. What? There it is. There it is. You do the Where's best. Where's the earth-shattering kaboom? You do the best Marvin the Martian voice you do. Thomas on the Ceasefire text line said the new Justified season finale was a letdown. I have not watched any of Justified Primeval because I was expecting a letdown. The, the original series was great. And this one I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm just waiting for somebody to get the brilliant idea to either reboot or do a sequel to Breaking Bad, at which point, I'm just going to tell you right now, we'll hand out flyers, we'll, we'll have t-shirts made, we will riot. Leave that one alone. That one was perfect, just as it sat, we're done. Can't be topped, can't be improved upon in my, in my book there. Um, a little bit later on in the show, we have a pressing topic that we have to discuss that... Some people are finally starting to mention, but I think we need to go into a little more depth on it, and we're going to do that today. And that's the fact that, how do I put this delicately, Rhino? Some people don't have enough sense to know when to go home, or they're not allowed to. It's, it's another possibility. We got another great piece of evidence along those lines yesterday, and I, I just want to put a little perspective on it. And and give an angle. We'll do it later on in, in the show. We've got uh, Brian Lamar joining us in the next segment. So I'm not going to lead into him with that. 
I'm not, I'm not going to throw him into that particular pit of fire, uh, but do want to get into that and have a discussion. Uh, you know, forget embarrassing, it's getting dangerous. Yeah, it literally is getting dangerous now. The fact that we keep dancing around this subject in what, in an interesting way to me, because the reasons why we don't want to talk of it kind of walk hand in hand with the whole concept of wokeness in a way. We don't want to say anything that would hurt other people's feelings. Yeah. When the safety, security, and operation of the country is concerned, I think we need to throw all of that out the window and discuss results. It's my thought. We'll get to that later on. Don't worry. Uh, and then I've got a I've got a conversation you and I will enjoy uh, a little bit later on. Uh, we we have had an update running here on Super Talk from Fox News. One of the little sixty second news updates. It's been running this week, I've heard it two or three times, uh, where a research team has discovered that uh, amputees that have phantom limb syndrome, they feel like their limb is still there, well, it turns out they can feel temperature changes and feel textures with their phantom limb. So now they have come up with a device that will allow them to have sensation and feeling, to an extent, in a prosthetic limb. This opens a whole can of worms that I want to talk about that has nothing really to do with science. That conversation is going to veer off into talking about the placebo effect again and several other things. Phantom limb syndrome, placebo effect. Just because you name something doesn't mean you've explained it, understand it, and it's all wrapped up and just we can move on now. That, that tends to be our knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well, we're going to call that this. Okay, so anyway, moving on. No, 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 go, go back to that. So I don't know if you heard that update, Rhino. You may not no. have this week. Uh, it's very fascinating. But the implications are staggering. Also, by the way... Um, well, you, you know in movies where sometimes they'll go back and they'll show the origin of how something happened, uh, the, the very first pebble rolling off of the top of the mountain that wound up causing the avalanche that buried the village? Well, the first pebble of actual time travel has happened in the last couple of weeks. It's very interesting. It's not theoretical. They did an experiment on a quantum level and caused what they called a time reflection and saw it, observed it with instruments. They reversed time. Now we're living in the 21st century. Still don't have my flying car, jetpack, or laser pistol, but we're, we're headed in that direction finally. I'm going to throw all that out, but it's a busy day. Busy stuff, busy times. But coming up next, Brian Lamar joins us. He has one heck of an interesting story, and I cannot wait to talk to him about this. Live in the Element Well Studios on Middays, right after this. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
the Element Well Studios live on Super Talk Mississippi. Dave Hughes here. And Rhino, here's a fun fact for you you may not know. Did you know there's a difference between 1020 and 1035? Just a small difference. About 15 minutes, in fact. That's when Brian's going to be with us. Not now. I had just written, you know, they say that if you really need to get something in your head and remember it, you need to write it out, write it. Yeah, I did that less than an hour ago and still got it wrong. So we're off to a whale of a start here, I'm telling you. Did you see uh, the ruling against Rudy Giuliani yesterday? Oh, yeah. Now... Here is where things really are going to start getting messy with the whole thing associated with the election fraud and and the 2020 election and all the cases going on for former President Trump and everybody else around it. The federal judge sanctioned Giuliani yesterday, ordered him to pay all the legal fees for the two poll workers in Georgia that he went on every network in America and said that, you know, they were engaged in election fraud in 2020 and handing off uh, USB drives like they were doing a drug deal in the prison yard and all these kind of things. Well, he he, he had asked, uh, or rather the other side of things, the prosecution had asked the judge for this default judgment, basically, uh, sanctioning him because he wasn't turning over any information. That is part of a lawsuit, the the whole rules of discovery. You have to let the other side know what you have. And if you don't, it's not admissible. And if you don't respond to it, it's a problem. Well, he didn't. That's and, the part of lawcraft they get wrong on all the TV shows and movies. You don't just have the random person show up at the 11th hour and blow wide open the case 99 times out of 100 that person's going to be ruled inadmissible and it's all going to get thrown out yes they're going to instruct the jury to please ignore everything you just heard it doesn't matter it's not admissible it does not count towards this so when when that motion was filed giuliani uh he and his legal team filed a motion to dismiss that request for sanctions that is the filing where Giuliani, specifically in a legal filing, in writing, conceded that he had made false statements about the two in regards to election fraud. He admitted he lied in a court filing. So this is not up for debate anymore in terms of this case. It's, there's no question. He admitted it. But here's the implication. Let's go a step deeper here, okay? He admitted to what he was being sued over. It's a defamation lawsuit that the two women, what are the uh, Ruby Freeman and Wandrea Arche Moss, filed against him for defaming their character by spreading this story around. In his court filing, asking for it to be uh, the, the, the motion for sanctions to be dismissed, the motion for sanctions again, because they weren't turning over any evidence or anything that they had, in their motion to get that dismissed, Giuliani conceded, yeah, well, I lied about that stuff. I provided false statements is the phrase that he used. He just did the civil lawsuit version of pleading guilty. 
Why did he do that? In the hopes that that would bring everything to an end and end discovery, which immediately leads to the question, what's worse than losing the case that he didn't want to get out? Because that's the choice he made. He admitted that they were correct in their lawsuit, hoping to do away with discovery. That that has been discussed. We know that was the goal of that. Uh, what would they have had to hand over to the lawyers on the other side that would have caused him worse problems? Because right now, just in paying the legal fees, it's over $100,000 he's been ordered, and he's not avoiding a trial. Both sides have to propose three trial dates in the next couple of months, I think through November, like October or November, uh, and then they're going to pick one, and then they're going to have the trial anyway, so the judge, and I quote, can determine what damages he needs to pay them in addition to the attorney fees. So he's not avoiding the trial. That that wasn't accomplished. He's not doing anything other than making sure they don't find out all the other stuff he's got. What does he have that it was important enough that, well, I'll just take this hit and lose a few million dollars, I'll just admit I made this up. But don't look in the filing cabinet over there. That is textbook suspicious. To me, anyway. So how bad is it? What kind of problems would or will it cause when and if that kind of stuff comes out? Whatever it is, I don't know, but that's what he was trying to hide. So the implications in that case are a little bigger than I think some people have noticed and figured out, not only for him, but for all 19 of the defendants in Georgia, because this was a Georgia case. This was about two Georgia poll workers. Uh, the federal cases, all of it. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I, am I reading that wrong, Rhino? I always like to go to my expert opinion over here for a second <laughs> shot at it. Am I reading this incorrectly? No, that, that's pretty much spot on. So, now... Derek and Greenwood on the ceasefire text line. The jury will disregard counsel's entire opening statement with the exception of thank you. The floor is yours. Thank you. And then redacted. Yeah. That's exactly how that would work. So. Again, going back to the concept, I've already induced it, uh, inferred it in, uh, in the realm of time travel. Never thought I'd link time travel and Rudy Giuliani, but it's that kind of day. Once again, this is the first pebble that could cause an avalanche if they're not very careful. Or at least, we can't say that. It could be nothing. But at the very least, Rudy Giuliani and his team thinks this was the best course of action. And correct or incorrect, they've got their reasons. Do you think this has made it any less likely that the other trials are going to make a concerted effort to go find out what else he has? Do you really think that? It smells to me of desperation on his part. Which, admittedly, Giuliani, I mean, is it just me? He seems to have gone down 
over the past couple of years uh, in the terms of stability. Uh, my grandpa used to call it going around the bend. It's just what it looks like to me. I mean, he may be fine, but, you know. <sighs> What's the phrase from Tolkien, butter spread too thin on too much bread? Yes. Or something like that. Yes. Means that you won't have a snack table available at the Four Seasons Lawn Care Center when you call your press conference. That was that was Giuliani. Wasn't that Giuliani? I think yeah. Was, yeah, I thought it was Giuliani. Because wasn't that the same press conference where his uh, either his fake tan or his hair dye was running down his face? It had that black line running down the side from his temple down. Yeah, so there have been some pretty obvious signs that there's something wrong in Giulianiville. But again, it comes back. How old is he, Rhino? Mm, let's check. I'm just curious. He's He's been kicking for a while. 79. 79. <sighs> just turned 79 at the end of May. Oh, yeah, the hotel room scene. I for, I had forgotten about that one. I had completely forgotten about that. It was in the Borat movie, right? Yeah. Or the Borat sequel. They just flat out uh, took him in on that. This does tie into the conversation we're going to have later, though. Same kind of thing, except this is a little different. Rudy Giuliani is no longer in charge of anything, including, apparently, his best legal options, going by how this case has played out. So keep an eye on that one. And again, remember this one also as a potential pebble coming off of the top of the mountain. If I say this at the end of every segment, eventually I will be right. Up next, we've got Brian Lamar. <laughs> we'll find out if I blew it again when we come back live in the Element Well Studios on Super Talk Mississippi. with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi live in the Element Wealth Studios on a Thursday morning. Dave Hughes here, and we are joined now via live hookup uh, with uh, one of our opinion writers here at Super Talk, uh, Brian Lamar, and uh, Brian, you have one heck of a story. How you doing, sir? I'm good, Dave. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, definitely, and and you, uh, welcome to the Super Talk family. Uh, there's snacks in the break room. I'm not sure it's going to do you a lot of good right now, though, right? <laughs> I don't think I can reach them. Uh, that that would take a, a plane flight. Are you currently in Japan? Yes, I'm in Japan. It is currently 1230 midnight uh, on Friday, September 1st, right now. 
So you stayed up late for us. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> how, 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 and I, this is a simple question with a long, complex answer. How in the heck does a Mississippi boy wind up in Japan? Well, um, I, I, I got a job with uh, the U.S. Army working over here uh, in Okinawa, Japan. And uh, so I, I applied for it. Uh, I was... Um, I was working at the CB base as the public affairs director um, from uh, 2016 to 2022, uh, and then uh, my, my boys were getting older. I got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. They're getting older, and I, I, I told my wife, I said, if we're going to go overseas and see the world with these boys, we've got to do it now because they're going to start getting girlfriends and stuff and not going to want to leave. So uh, we, we took off, and uh, it's been an adventure for sure. Well, and I, th- I think if you don't know this, you're going to figure it out. It doesn't matter where you take them. They're going to get girlfriends. It's, it's just a question of where you're at when it happens, but it's going to happen. That uh, is a true statement. Now, you you got started writing. Uh, you you kind of got your inspiration at a very young age, and this is the importance of doing some things, to me, outside of the box when it comes to educating our young people, because you never know where it's going to lead. If you would just briefly run through your story, how you got interested in writing and how you started uh, doing the writing that you do so well. Yeah. um, So every time I tell this story, I I don't know, it kind of sounds more and more silly, but uh, I I got my my start in writing uh, at eight years old, uh, second grade. Uh, I was a veterans day project, uh, second grade teacher, asked us to write a uh, interview a veteran and then write a story about it. And I ended up writing one um, on my, my great-grandfather who was in World War II, who actually served out here in the Pacific front. So, yeah, you know, here we are 40 years later, 30-something years later, and, uh, and here I am in the Pacific as well. Uh, and then uh, so I wrote the story, and it turned out so well. And I, I interviewed some more of his VFW buddies, and uh, – um, a lot of those uh, interviews I turned into little vignette stories about their service, and then it, it ended up running in the Times Daily newspaper in North Alabama, and and I just I just fell in love with writing right then and there. And uh, you're you're still doing it and doing it to a to a high level. I can tell you that because I read your piece from last Friday, and there's there's one thing that I want to pull out of here and mention a a lot would you agree with this a lot of writing is paying attention and and noticing and noting down just some of the weird wacky things that happen that come out of left field and then relaying them in the form of stories because i think that captures people's attention and holds it you know you're right uh i have to I have to be aware, have to head, have my head on a swivel, be aware of my surroundings and just kind of absorb all these little details that, uh, that occur that uh, maybe you, you might miss because you're thinking about something else or, you know, you, you just head's not 100% in the situation. But I have to thank Ricky Matthews, um, great friend, uh, and he had convinced me uh, a while back to start jotting down some of the experiences that I had while I was here uh, as a Mississippian who's you know all the way across the other side of the world and experiencing things and he told me he said there there's some things that that happen to you that they might seem normal they might seem odd uh, but they're they're definitely going to seem like an adventure to uh, to readers back in Mississippi so he encouraged me to start jotting things down and then um, uh, this latest column that came out, um, the, 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 
it, it was a simple interaction. We were at the Yamitan Family Support Center uh, doing a um, an event with uh, it, they support single moms uh, and new moms. Uh, financially, maybe um, financially burdened moms, uh, teaching them skills of being a new mom. And uh, one of them came over to me and just kind of pressed her uh, newborn baby, infant baby, yeah, into my face and said, hey, hold my baby. And, um, and, and you know, I, I don't know if I conveyed it well enough in the article that um, the Japanese uh, aren't a touchy feely society uh they, they they do they don't even shake hands really it's it's a lot of bowing and so to shake a hand it's it's a, a an extra level of intimacy that they don't usually share uh so to have somebody thrust their baby in my face and say hey please hold my baby for a minute um i at first i was very honored i was like, oh well, she trusts me enough with her baby and this this is something new uh and then as she started talking to me she started letting me know that she just she just heard that I had come from uh, Mississippi um, and uh, that uh, she wanted uh, my unique blend of well, I think she called it flora my my bacteria the, the the makeup that was still on my skin from the, the tropics of Mississippi and uh, and so she she wanted that to strengthen her baby's immune system so I went from being honored to being a little offended because she wanted my bacteria is the way she put it uh, then then also being a little bit more touched um, that uh, that I, I could I could be a part of their life in that way um, but then of course I was terrified what if this baby gets sick and then they're going to blame me? <laughs> have to bring it back over here to get treatment, wouldn't they? That's Mississippi stuff. Uh, correct me if <laughs> Some I'm wrong. Weird did, Mississippi disease that they don't have an immunization for. <laughs> did Did you just invent a new occupation? I, I I mean, I really think you did, Brian Lamar, germ evangelist. There, there you go. I yeah. like that. I yeah. like, it's got a nice ring to it. need a business card with that on it. But that, that's the kind of unique thing that happens when you get outside your comfort zone. And I've talked about this before, and I love your columns for this reason, because it does give a window into things. Uh, travel never does anything but help in your development as a person, seeing new cultures, seeing new people, seeing new things, seeing a different way of looking at life can improve your life if you just do it, but most people don't, do they? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think the the vast majority of Americans don't even have a passport. And so um, I, I, I really encourage people to get that passport. And even if it's just crossing the border into Canada or Mexico to go just see another culture, another society, uh, another way that people can live, you'll learn a lot about your own culture as well while you're viewing other cultures. And and I tell people a lot of times, yeah, Jap Japan is probably one of the most like uh, exotic cultures I could think of from South Mississippi. Uh, but there are so many similarities that I find between the Japanese people and people um, in, in America, uh, but of course, so many differences as well. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, Japan, uh, one of our America's strongest allies, and I'm over here doing a job uh, for the Department of Defense to continue that community relations. So I try really hard to see where 
I can um, I can do these community relations events and outreach to where I can tie us together and, and build those bridges. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, back in uh, Thanksgiving time last year, I brought uh, American style sweet potato pies uh, and pumpkin pies. And uh, they grow sweet potatoes here in Okinawa. It's a huge crop, um, but we use them a little bit differently. And boy, they loved those sweet potato pies. They said, we've never had anything like this before. Give us the recipe. <laughs> We're going to eat these now forever. So you have a variety of different things from South Mississippi you're infecting them with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not just the germs. <laughs> that's fantastic. But that that's what it's all about. Uh, you They pick up some things from you. You pick up some things from them. And I, I think it strengthens people when they do some traveling and they get exposed to new things. And, you know, if you want to start small, I'm sure you've seen the same studies I have over the years. Most people never get further than 50, 75 miles away from the place they were born. Uh, they, they just stay right there. Start yeah. by traveling within America if you want to, to kind of get your sea legs under you for traveling around. Go someplace, and you you will be amazed at exactly what you're talking about, the similarities and the differences, even within the U.S., and then you'll be ready to, to go overseas. Is it scary to travel over to Japan and be there? As a person from Mississippi, is it something that you should be worried about? Um, it's, it's, I, I can't tell you how safe it is. Uh, the violent crime is literally, I mean, it, it's 1% of what you would find in America. If you look at the statistics, violent crime just barely exists here. Barely. It's, it's a, a trace amounts. Um, it, it, the people are so helpful if you get lost or whatever. And I, <laughs> I get lost a lot. Uh, sometimes when I'm looking at the signs, I, I know what it's like to feel illiterate because sometimes I'm looking at the signs and I'm like, okay, I don't know where this place is and I can't read that sign. So I, I, I'll go and ask, um, you know, the first word I, Brian, I really Brian, to use hold, sumimasen, sin, which means, excuse me, hold, hold that thought. We're up against a break. We're going to come back here in just a second. Okay. Cause I'm going to keep you all the way up until one o'clock here on Super Talk on Middays. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi, the Element Well Studios on a Thursday morning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Dave Hughes here, and we have with us live from Japan one of our uh, opinion columnists uh, at supertalk.fm, Brian Lamar, uh, or as, as he is starting to become known around the world, uh, Mr. Bear. <laughs> I, I read the whole thing, Brian. I read it all the way to the bottom. I know, I know what you what you're talking about here. But you have some great interactions that you had, and I'm sorry I had to interrupt you going into the break. But you were talking about being lost and and translating the language. One thing I found fascinating uh, is that the whole story starts. You were at the community center that night uh, when the uh, woman gave you the opportunity to spread Mississippi germs. Uh, you were there reading to the the kids in English, right? Was that was that the same event? Right. Now, yeah, so um, they so don't one they, thing they don't know what you're do, saying. Well, you're right. Um, so uh, 
the the purpose of us reading English children's books uh, to to the, the I mean, and, the, and these are the little ones. Um, so uh, they're most of them are speaking age, but they they haven't learned they're learning Japanese. You know, just like you know, the American babies learning English. Um, so the the thought is is that just by hearing a native English speaker on a regular basis, um, it will help them acquire. Uh, English later in life, and and that's that's the mentality behind it. Well, at the very least, I think from a conditioning standpoint, it at least gets them used to it in a comfortable, safe, secure setting, and they make positive associations with the sound of the English language. So that that kind of changes a lot of potential paths in their lives, I would think. But here's my question for you: that this I think is a fantastic idea, and it's a mind broadening thing for the kids. Why don't we do that here in America? Well, you know, I, I I think about this a lot, and uh, I, even myself, uh, as as much as I consider myself worldly uh, and and open to to other cu- customs, cultures, and societies, uh, I remember coming up with a plan uh, in high school to get out of taking Spanish, uh, and uh, I, I I took sign language instead, and that was my foreign language uh, uh, credits. Um, and I did it again in college. And now I look back and I, I kick myself because I found out that I actually have an aptitude for language learning. And I've, I've picked up a lot of Japanese uh, since I've been here. And, um, and, and, you know, in the States, I think there's a lot of um, maybe a little bit of closed mindedness to the idea of one day you might just pick up and go to Japan. It just seems like such a foreign concept. And for many people, it's it's out of the reach. So you think, why learn Japanese? But there are so many utilities um, to learning language. The, it, it unlocks part of your brain that you didn't even know you had. And that's a good thing. Well, and, and that's uh, kind of the point. We, we kind of get in our own way sometimes, I think. And this is a great thing that you're doing, and I think it's really going to give those kids an advantage moving forward in life, just having that kind of experience. Now, is, is this a, a permanent situation? Are you over in Okinawa uh, permanently, or is there like a set time where you're coming back so you can bring some Japanese germs back home? What What's your schedule like? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, um I, I have return rights back to my job at the uh, at the CV Center in, in Gulfport, um, and as long as I don't stay overseas past five years, I can come back to my old job. And that's just kind of the the way the Department of Defense uh, entices people to pick up and move to go serve their country overseas. And so I have that ability to come back to Gulfport um, sometime within. Uh, well, it's been a year now. Actually, today or, or this week is my one-year anniversary of being here. Uh, so um, uh, I, I've got about four more years that I can do overseas if I want to do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's the plan to come back. Okay, so the plan is to come back because, you know, well, you, you get, I, I, I suspect the fried chicken isn't as good there. The catfish is not the same level. You know. It? You know, I've been to I've been to uh, Korea and uh, all over Japan now for business trips, working for the army here. And both of these countries, uh, they've got their own versions of fried chicken, 
and they're both so delicious. I would love to be able to get good at making it the way they make it here and bring it back to Mississippi and do kind of a taste test because I don't know which one would win. There's all three versions are so good. I, I, th- I think you may be trying to climb a steep hill if you're going to change people's opinion on fried chicken, but I, I think it's a fight worth having, man. Yeah. It's a fight worth having. You know, uh, so I've been a food writer for 20 years, and uh, I never would have thought that I would go to some place like J- Japan or Korea uh, and try the chicken and go, boy, let me have another. Uh, and and I was just, it, it knocked my socks off the first time I had this. Um, it's like a, a soy-based uh, garlic and soy-based fried chicken. It just, it's so good. <laughs> Brian Lamar, opinion columnist with Supertalk from Japan, no less. You can find his uh, his column on supertalk.fm. Brian, enjoyed it, man. Now go to bed. It's late. Yeah, yeah, it's 1 a.m. <laughs> Up next, we have Fox News, Supertalk, Mississippi News, and then hour number two of Middays in the Element Wealth Studios next. Your home for get ready get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state Hello. you're listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi Welcome back, Super Talk Mississippi Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios. Glad to have you along for the ride on this Thursday. And uh, Thomas, let me let me address this right up front. Do you know how much self control I exerted? We had limited time with Brian. Do you know how much self control after we started the show with Rhino's honest review of the live action One Piece? How much self control it took to not get into an anime discussion with Brian? He's an anime XQ, uh, HQ. I am amazed that Rhino didn't butt in and ask a question. It would have been immediately forgiven and understandable, but we, we, we're all about the business. I try to be professional every once sorry. in a while. I, I couldn't even keep a straight face when I said that. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Now, one of the big stories last night and, and today, carrying on, uh was for the second time Mitch McConnell uh, experienced technical difficulties, I think is a a proper way to say it. Uh, Oh, Rob from Pontotoc, we'll have to loop back around to One Piece later. He's upset. You can tell by the all caps in the text. We'll get back. We'll circle back around to it, Rob. It's okay. We'll do a Corrine Jean-Pierre and circle back to that later. Um... Mitch McConnell yesterday was speaking uh, to uh, a group in Kentucky yesterday. Spoke for 20 minutes. Everything went fine. It was normal Mitch McConnell talk. You know what you're getting. It's right there on the label. You know what you're going to get when you show up, and you got it, and it was fine. It was great. And then they went to a question and answer session. And, uh, well... In case you haven't seen it, and you really need to see it to get the full effect, but we can we can play it for you in audio. Here's how that went. What are my thoughts about what running for re-election in 
2026. Oh. That's right. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? He's just staring right, I'm sorry, straight you ahead. I'm sorry, Please speak up. 30 seconds, a little over 30 seconds. It was about eight or nine seconds into it when the aide stepped forward. Uh, and I'm sorry, it fit the stereotypical definition of an attendant at a retirement home. Did you hear me? Like a bad Hollywood rendition of that. Uh, Senator McConnell is 81. Here's a fun fact about Senator McConnell at 81 years old. He's the 14th oldest member of Congress. There are 13 people older than him. We have the third oldest Congress in American history beaten by last session's Congress. The age dropped like half a year. Everyone is so terrified to hurt someone's feelings. And I do find it so funny that the people that keep screaming the word snowflake when you talk about how everybody else feels and how they want to be heard about it, then immediately go to the word ageism. You ever heard the expression, live by the sword, die by the sword? If we're going to discuss facts as they exist without worrying about people's feelings while focusing on the best possible result and benefit for the American people, then let's do it across the board. Mitch McConnell is too old to serve. He needs to go home. Did you get a little twinge in your stomach when I said that out loud? No, it's not age-related. There, there is no heavy lifting. There is no requirement that you have to be a certain age and be able to lift at least 50 pounds to serve in office. So it's a different thing. But there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more uh, intellectual stuff that goes into it. And it's not about age. We've talked about uh, Fetterman has had some obvious issues. But here is my question. Why is it when President Biden comes out and mumble-stumble-bumbles his way through what passes in his world for a sentence, everybody immediately starts mocking him and saying he's incompetent and he's unable to serve and he needs to go home and holy cow, this is horrible. But when Mitch McConnell does this once a month, for the past two months, it, it happened in July as well, if you remember, so we're two for two over the last two months for this happening, trying to answer a, a reporter's question. Uh, why is it now nobody wants to talk about it? We're talking about the people leading the country, setting the policy, spending the money. You've got 90-something-year-old Diane Feinstein who has, has to have an aide lean over and say in her year, just say I. Okay, so who's voting then? There comes a point where I don't care how old you are. Fetterman's a perfect example of that. I don't care how old you are. If you're not competent to serve, you need to go home. You do realize it's three more years before McConnell is up for re-election. That was the question he was answering. The reporter literally said, 
uh, you're up for re-election in 2026. What are your thoughts on that? And he he got the mental blue screen of death. Just uh, and just froze again. My other question about this is, at what point is this no longer what's supposedly good for the country and just flat-out elder abuse for the sake of retaining power from both sides? At, at what point are we there? I asked Rhino during a break earlier, and here is my question. And I, I'm going to put it from this context, because everything has to be about conservative versus liberal, Republican versus Democrat. Sometimes facts are just facts. Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, both of them, as they are right now, same age, same everything. How long would they last as a a shop foreman, as a warehouse supervisor? As any other job, how long would they last or would they be shown gently to the door? They'd get a gold watch and a pink slip. But why? Because it would be dangerous to keep them around. Now, the people spending all the taxpayers' money, doing all the appropriations and voting on whether or not we go to war, well, that's different than moving boxes. You know, moving boxes, people could get hurt. So we have to be ca- This is a problem. And until we grow up enough to be able to stare a bare fact in its face and deal with it as the fact that it is, it's going to continue to be a problem. I got nothing against Mitch. He has served a long time. He's done some good work in the past. It's time for him to go home and enjoy the rest of his life. He has done his part. Same thing with Joe Biden. Same thing with a long list of people. There's a lot of different theories about why we have the oldest Congress almost in American history. Two of the three oldest Congresses in the history of the country were last year and this year. The oldest president ever to serve is right now. And I ask you, if that's a good idea, if that's the best option, look around. How are things going? Happy with the results? Pleased with the way things are operating? Then we need to change some things. This automatically brings up the discussion of term limits. And i got a question for you, Rhino. Is there uh, anybody in the federal government in an elected position that is uh, subject to term limits? Uh, The president. Yes. So it's okay for the president, but not for anybody else? What, What was the point of putting in the term limits for president. It happened after FDR ran four times and got elected during World War II. And then after that, they said, you know, this is how you wind up with people running things. And they, after they've done it long enough, they run it as their own little fiefdom. That only applies to the president? Who votes? Who, who makes the laws? Who does all the things? I think this is a real conversation that we need to have. And I think we're not having it. 
Everybody keeps nibbling around the edges of it. I've seen four different news stories about what happened with Mitch McConnell yesterday, and every one of them says that he seemed to freeze up. That's how scared we are to address the elephant in this particular room. Seemed to freeze up? Go watch the video. He froze like a fresh popsicle in Alaska. He froze. He didn't seem to freeze. But we can't address a bare fact as a bare fact, and it's causing us problems, and they're going to get worse until we face it. We'll continue this in just a moment. Keep it here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Hattiesburg. He froze like my daughter's old iPhone 5 on a hot summer day after a software update. Yeah, that's pretty good, Dan. That's a good analogy. I like that. Welcome back, Middays, in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes here. And a lot of people on the C Spire text line, uh, as the saying goes, picking up what I'm putting down here. The problem is, what do you do about it? Because, well, the people that would have to institute some form of term limits are the ones that would be affected by the term limits. That's a problem that's baked into this whole process, unfortunately. And there, this is going to sound horrible, there's not a clean way to fix this. No, the most politically palatable way is to grandfather people in and set it for some future date to go into effect where it won't impact anybody currently serving, which doesn't fix the problem we're having right now. No, and, you know, I, I think it's becoming clear... Here, here are some reactions, and I told Rhino this earlier as well off the air. I find myself in the awkward and somewhat uncomfortable position of agreeing with Marjorie Taylor Greene this morning. Uh, she has said some ridiculous things, but she's not always wrong. And she said, uh, just flat out, uh we got to do something about this, and mentioned Biden, McConnell, Feinstein, and Fetterman. All four of them said there are examples of people who are not fit for office, and it's time to be serious about it. From the other side of things, uh, there, there's a far-right Republican, Representative Dean Phillips, a Democrat from Minnesota, said yesterday, after McConnell's thing, uh, said, quote, For goodness sake, the family, friends, and staff of Senators Feinstein and McConnell, mentioning one of his own and Mitch, are doing them and our country a tremendous disservice. It's time for term limits for Congress and the Supreme Court and some basic human decency, end quote. When you have... Uh, left-leaning Democrat 
and a right-leaning Republican saying the same thing about the same people in the same way for the same reasons, we officially have a problem, especially in today's climate politically. You can't agree with them, get them to agree on whether you put the peanut butter or the jelly on the bread first to make a sandwich right now. But we're starting to see a lot of agreement on this topic. Because it is dangerous. The example I gave... <clears throat> Let's say both of them were in the position of president. Mitch is not running for president. No plans for that. It's not going to happen. So this is a hypothetical thing. But you've got President Biden stumbling, rumbling, bumbling through life. You've got Mitch McConnell, who every so often takes, takes an eyes-open nap. And it's time to use the nuclear codes. Things have finally gone completely south with Russia or with China. Which one do you want to have that ability? Which one do you want to be holding that in their hands? The one that might accidentally stumble and fall on it at any given moment, or the one that if you ask him about it, is just going to stare blankly ahead for the next half a minute before he even says anything, and then going to have to go off and take a few minutes to regroup before he can come back, and by then... Uh, the problem has kind of solved itself. That is a very extreme, hypothetical, made-up situation. Fully admit that. But it was done to illustrate a point, because the Senate minority leader makes a lot of important decisions. They, they are involved in a lot of things that affect you, affect your pocketbook, affect your health care, affect your taxes, affect everything. The time has come for everyone, and you see it across the aisle, both sides, it's, it's here. Everyone has to have a serious conversation about this problem. And again, a bunch of people are going to step forward, you watch, you wait, and start screaming ageism. It's not ageism, it's competency. Because if you go watch the video from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday, It's pretty clear the same argument against Biden's competency applies there, too. I've talked about this before, and I will talk about it again, I'm sure. We have got to become more results-oriented again. World War II. How did we win World War II? We focused on winning World War II, not whether or not everybody had the proper accommodations and no one's feelings got hurt at the camp. We're in a war right now. We better start trying to win the war instead of worrying and making sure we don't upset anybody. You know what upsets me? Every time I go to the grocery store right now, no, upset is a mild word. We, we went the other day, and I've seen this meme, and I knew it was a joke, but it's really getting to not be a joke. My wife and I went to the grocery store uh, just, just last week, actually, it was. Walked out, spent 130 something dollars it was three bags I carried with one hand, and none of them were full. Really? It's time to get serious about things. It's time to focus on results, not making sure that we do everything the proper way. So if it upsets people, I'm not attacking old people, but retirement ages exist for a reason. How old are you when they force you to quit being an airline pilot? 60. At 60, you are forced 
to go home as an airline. Now, this is during an airline pilot shortage that we've had in recent years. They didn't have enough because everybody was reaching 60 and going home, but they still didn't change that. Why? These are just facts. And if they make you uncomfortable, well, we've been focusing on the wrong things, obviously. I have one North Star in all of this, all of these conversations. America needs to be better. America needs to be, well, let's get, at least get back to good and then build on that. But if we spend all our time complaining and whining and making sure that nobody offends our, and hurts our feelings while we're discussing it and trying to figure out what to do, we're never going to get anywhere. That kind of attitude got us here. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know if you can tell, Rhino. I, I got a little fired up about this. Just a little bit. Yeah, well, the, the more I thought about it, the, you know, the worse it got in my head. <sighs> Paula Meridian. Woohoo! Ravioli and Vienna sausages are down about 12 cents. Okay, now you're talking my language. Not a huge ravioli fan, but Vienna sausages? Oh, yeah. That reminds me. I, honey, we got to get some more. Put that on the list because I think we got two cans left. I'm not even joking. Bubba and Starble, yes. Dave, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired of all this madness. Exactly. But all we do is sit around and complain about it and never actually change anything. Which does not lead to anything changing, unfortunately. I think a lot of people are in that same exact spot, Bubba. I, I think we're there. Everybody talks about being tired of higher prices and tired of the work environment and tired of employee shortages and tired of the price of gas and tired of this and tired of that. I'm tired of being tired. That's the big one. Thomas, does your, age, does your ageism extend to Trump? Yeah, he's 77. If he gets elected... He will be two years older than Biden is now at the end of his next term. Again, it's not pure ageism. It has to do with competency. It has to do with the ability to do the job. And statistically, well, my wife just texted me, noted. Okay, so you got the Vienna sausages on the list. <laughs> this is how I do my grocery list. I come up here and I talk about what we need, and she just jots down notes. Uh, the, the thing is, can they do the job? Can they get America to a better place? Can we get things under control? There are a reason there are mandatory retirement ages in industries where... Not having your A-game could cause people to get hurt or killed. Airline pilots, perfect examples, not the only ones. Is there nobody over the age of 60 that can govern? Of course not. Is there anybody over the age of 70 that cannot govern? Of course not. But we got a lot of examples right now showing that... Mm, there are some people that use that
phrase to justify riding the horse off into the sunset. Sometimes you got to let the horse rest. Attention, adoring fans! It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Got a few messages to catch up on from the ceasefire text line and other places here on middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes in today. Uh, probably the most important one uh, from Paul and Meridian. Uh, they are great with crackers, and then he clarified Vienna sausages. I mean, which is good because in this conversation, crackers could go in a lot of directions. Let's be honest. Ravioli with crackers does not sound good, though. But Vienna sausages? Right. Look, here's the meal. You want, you want the meal? Paul is going to amen this. I can see it coming. You get you a can of Vienna sausages. Get some crackers. Really, with Vienna sausages, I prefer just regular, good old American saltines. Some people do Ritz, but they're too fancy for me. I don't hang out with them. Uh, can of Vienna sausages, some saltines, and some sharp cheddar cheese. And then just get out of my way. My elbows might accidentally injure you as I go to town. I, I don't care if you like it or not, but you're really missing out if you don't try that. It's delicious. I feel like there is a a, a, a poor man's solution, for lack of a better term, for using ravioli with crackers, though. Because then you can get kind of the texture of fried ravioli without all the work. That is the height of laziness. I like that. That's, that's a great take on that. Thank you. Uh, Tim from Tupelo. Oh, peanut butter goes on first, then the jelly. Or, you know, the the way it's always been done around me is you put peanut butter on one slice of bread, jelly on the other side, and then you squish them together. So it's kind of a moot point then which one goes on first. Or if you really want to get crazy, you can do it like they do in prison where you just mix the peanut butter and jelly together and slap it on bread. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, you can buy it that way in the store with it all already together. And that's the height of laziness, right? There. <laughs> you can't be bothered to mix your own peanut butter and jelly. you got to buy it pre-mixed. But did yeah. they ever put that in a squeeze jar? I don't know. I'll bet they did. <laughs> oh, Scott, red rind hoop cheese. See, now we're discussing the important issues. Mo says, absolutely delicious, Dave. See, I got, I got some backup on this one. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about on this one, one million percent. But I, I will amend it and go with what Scott just said, red rind cheese, or uh, kind of the same thing, but not really, uh, some, some Edom cheese from Mississippi State. Oh, if you haven't had that, number one, just I, I can eat that like an apple. I can literally peel the wax off. I do peel the wax off first. I do have some culture. But uh, peel the wax off and just eat it like an apple. I'm fine with that. Which I may regret saying this because it may make it harder for me to get some. But if you do want you to get your hands on some Mephis cheese, online ordering opens up next week. <laughs> get it while it lasts. Here is a preview of what I'm going to be doing next week. Refresh. Refresh. It's not open yet. Refresh. You got to get there early before they sell out because they sell out. 
They only make so much of it. And they have sold out before. Oh, now we're getting Vienna sausages recipes. See, we have wandered off into a good part of the universe. I like this. This is a good part of the world. And this is why I love you, text line. I really do. Uh, Vienna saltines and mustard. I don't know. I'm sticking with the cheese. There's something about the way it, it mixes, you know? <laughs> From the 662, I won't stand for goober grape slander. It just seems one step past the lazy limit to me. At least have some artisanal peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah, make it by hand, you know? Rose red sausages are superior, Thomas said. That, those are good. Those are good. I don't know. I'm I'm just a standard old Vienna sausage guy. <sighs> Let's see. The Mississippi State Jalipeno cheddar spreadable cheese on Ritz crackers is the best. Well, yeah. Anything coming out of Starkville when it comes to cheese, yeah. Just automatic seal of approval, five stars. With never, musky dime ripple ice cream for dessert. Never had a bad one. Potted meat mayo sandwich. See, they, these to me are what I would consider, and most people don't. And if you talk to people from around the country, because I talk to people all the time uh, from all over the place, in L.A., in New York, uh, and everywhere in between, uh, they don't know the joys of like a potted meat sandwich. Or, oh boy, I'm about to knock the scab off another can of worms here as I mix my metaphors. A fried bologna sandwich. You mentioned something like that, or what I said earlier about, you know, just Vienna sausages, saltines, and cheddar cheese, and it goes quiet for a second. They're like, what? What? I had one person one time tell me, why would you put that stuff in your body? I'm like, because I have taste, was my answer, and it didn't register, and we just changed the topic and moved on. <sighs> Let's see here. Uh, my grandma always mixed the peanut butter and jelly. See, artisanal. Uh, I don't think she ever did any prison time, though. As far as you know, <laughs> have you really asked the questions? You can't be 100% certain until you check the records, man. You know, you, you don't. She could have been running booze back during Prohibition. You have no idea. Tim from Tupelo, I can see it now. The Dave Hughes Delicious Delectables Potted Meat Cookbook. That is an absolutely stupid, horrible idea. Hold on, i got to jot something now. Book. Okay, yeah. Silly idea. <clears throat> you think they bought it right now? I don't think they bought it. What part of the plant do they use to make vegan Vienna sausage? Well, I think we can all take a guess, can't we? That's just tofu with food coloring, ain't it? <sighs> Chris in Oxford. Potted meat. I was in college. My roommate. We're sitting there playing the Nintendo with our shirts off, eating potted meat, and drinking out of a gallon jug of buttermilk. That's called the life, I think. He, he does go on to discuss the uh, odor. Which is a different thing. Potted meat and crackers. We actually haven't mentioned that combination yet. That's a good one. 
Fried Vienna sausage. I have never fried, he says, with cornmeal. So like a breaded Vienna sausage and you fry it, I guess. Mm. I have never tried that. That's a good one. I mean, it is Mississippi. We can deep fry just about anything. Fried me. I, I am taking notes now from the text line. <laughs> That's where we have arrived on the show. Okay, yeah. Thomas and Greenwood, you, Thomas, you're excused. Spam. I knew spam would come up at some point. It would have to. Spam, sharp cheddar cheese, saltines, and Louisiana hot sauce. That'll wake you up. A few hours what, later, what, it'll wake you up again. Spam. Oh, well, that's uh, now we got like twenty different versions. Yeah, so I don't know. There's umpteen million different variations of the same thing. Carol, who who picked a wonderful time to to, to tune into the show, said, "I've just catching the last few minutes, but deviled ham with Cheez-Its. Oh, that's a thought. That's a good one. I like that. Bart and Columbus should not be around polite company. He said, canned pig's brains and milk. Do each their own. Yeah, we'll go with that. I mean, I'm a fan of corned beef hash. I haven't seen that one pop up on the text line yet. Oh, Thomas said, you was in relation to buttermilk. Yeah, I'm not a huge buttermilk fan. I have a bir- it has its purposes and its uses. Birthday cake at home. We were at the grocery store last week because uh, my wife was making my birthday cake, as she does, and it's, it's absolutely incredible every time. But the recipe calls for buttermilk, and we're back in the dairy section. She says, I need a small thing of buttermilk, and I think it only comes like in the, the half gallon as small as it goes. And my initial reaction was, why on earth are you looking for buttermilk? <laughs> why would you possibly need that? And then she explained, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's good. That's good. You, you've been using that every time? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, we'll find it then. We're not messing with success. The original spam only, they said, in answer to that question. <laughs> Finally, hot sauce is in play, the 662 says. <laughs> Deviled ham and boil, uh, boiled eggs, peanut butter, pickles, and cheese. I don't know about peanut butter, pickles, and cheese now. My buddy Chris messaged me and said, I've got a can of Spam on the shelf at the deer camp. It's been there since I was 12. Still good? It's a distinct possibility. It's worth a shot. If the zombie apocalypse had hit, you'd pop that sucker right open. So, yeah. I, I, I think you got a chance. I really do. I don't even know what time it is. We were talking about something completely different, and then everybody started getting me hungry, and now here we are. It have, And there, it's still coming in. Keep them coming in. If nothing else, I'm learning stuff. I'm taking notes. Oh, thanks, Chris. Chris said, okay, good. I'll drop it off in your mailbox. <laughs> I am going to get home, and there's going to be a 12-year-old. Well, as older than 12, it's since he was 12 can of spam in my mailbox if so i'll send you a picture holy cow final segment of the hour next come on come on middays with gerard gibbert all right we are back on super talk mississippi
We seriously ought to consider putting together the Ceasefire Text Line cookbook. Have an entire chapter on Vienna sausages and potted meat because we've gotten about 30 or 40 different fantastic combinations up here right now. As long as we uh, hang on to the prerogative to veto because anything that involves a jello mold yeah. and vena sausages are are going to be vetoed pretty much i i am at the point in my life where it, if it involves a jello mold period i mean i'm not against jello jello i don't particularly care for people putting fruit in jello mainly because that's how it was served in the cafeteria in school and i didn't care for the fruit they added but when you start getting into the wild and weird and wacky recipes from days gone by where they put hot dogs and other strange proteins in the jello mold, I, I can't abide. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. I did, to me, the, the jello with stuff in it, as I call it, uh, is in the same category as fruitcake. I know about it. I'm familiar with it. I don't want to touch it. Well, it's a personal preference thing. Well, see, that technically that doesn't count as stuff on the ceasefire text line 662. Vodka is good in jello. Okay, that's putting something in jello, but that's not the same. We're chunky things, chunky items in the jello, bad idea. I don't want to have to chew jello. If your vodka is chunky, you have an additional set of problems over here that you got to go sort out. You got to let the potatoes ferment longer. <laughs> You've got you, what you have, my friend. If your vodka is chunky, that's pre-vodka. You got a bottle of potatoes. That's what you got there. <sighs> Thomas says I might try fry, frying Vienna sausages. I know I'm kind of interested in that now. Uh, cornstarch and flour in one batch, cornmeal and fish fry seasoning in the other. Get you some Zatarans. That'll take care of that. So, or maybe just use Bearden's seasoned cornmeal, which is also good. But I, I would say grab you some Zatarans fish fry and put it in there and fry it. This has opened a whole new world. I had never that had never occurred to me. I mean, I eat them right out of the can. I don't even you know. Yeah, heat usually, them up. I don't even. Cooking and, and heating up an element with a pan or something doesn't cross my mind when I'm reaching for the can of Ainis. Martha, with a laughing while crying face, just texted in, and this is all she texted, shrimp molds. Yes. Sounds like something you would have to go take an antibiotic for. Well, I got a bad case of the shrimp molds. But yes, same category for me, anyway. Slim Jims and Ritz peanut butter crackers. Excellent together. Yeah. Yeah, that goes oh oh six oh one. Corned beef with potatoes are good. Guess what I ate for a meal? Was it last night or night before last? We have like uh four or five cans of corned beef hash in the pantry at home. We have that many because they won't last long. I love that stuff. Absolutely love it. So yes. Big thumbs up. That one's going in the cookbook. I just like the fact that corned beef hash comes in little individual cans. So yeah. it's just enough for me. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's a perfect meal size. Let's make you some toast. Heat it up in the pan. Spam rolled in flour and fried. 
Okay. Okay. Jason and Startville, you guys ever do smoked oysters in a can? I don't eat anything where I can't identify where its eyes are. It's just, a, again, a personal thing. Oyster dressing is delicious, though. I want it to look at me and know what's coming. Thomas Beats talking about fudge rounds. I do, do not knock snack cakes. That's a different conversation for a different kind. We're in the meats section right now. We'll push our buggy around to the snack cake aisle again another day. But we're, we're on the, the, the meats, the canned meats aisle at the moment. Which we have had several people chime in with varying flavors and varieties of sardines. Yes. Yes. That, that's on the other end of the spectrum from Spam. Spam has too many different flavors. There aren't enough flavors of sardines. And, again, going back to what I just said... You can see a sardine's eyes. You, you, you know it's a normal biological creature from planet Earth. Oyster? Yeah. It's not. At least as we can tell. Alien sludge in a shell. That and, but it's uh, so tasty with horseradish. That and octopus. Oct oct pieces. Octopi. Well, I don't even know how you pluralize it anymore. They change it every other day. <sighs> One final one before we get off of this, because uh, we have Wendy Bailey with us after the news. Here's a, a snack idea. Squirt cheese squirted into bugles. You, my friend, are a mad genius. That's a good one. We've got Fox News, Super Talk Mississippi News, and then Wendy Bailey joins us to start the next hour on Super Talk Mississippi. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, hour number three of Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes in today, uh, and I, I have some good news to start with, because joining me in studio, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health, Wendy Bailey, joins us. Uh, she walked in the door joining in on our food competition uh, conversation, so none of us have lost it yet, because she's right there with us, and, and she... I also found out you're apparently you have a genius at home. I do. My 11 year old, about to be 12 year old son, invented the whole bugles with the squirt cheese years ago. Years oh, ago. Oh, see, perfect. So, <laughs> so you you had you you were raising a genius. So I we am. will listen to anything you That's want to right. say. Yeah, miss. We we also got into a sardine discussion. We, we've been talking food. We haven't talked anything about what we're supposed to discuss today. If you would pull that mic up just a little bit so that they can hear you better. There we go. There we go. That's. That's better. Just talk right into the front of it there. Uh, Wendy, th this is a sensitive topic today. And you and I were talking just a moment ago before we came on the air. Uh, people get uncomfortable talking about anything associated with mental health, uh, which means people don't talk about it. And that's why, if you're wondering why, you know, today is International Overdose Awareness Day, and you're thinking, what does that have to do with mental health? 
Well, have a seat. We're about to explain that to you. It has everything to do with mental health, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Many times now you hear it referred to as behavioral health instead of mental health, and behavioral health really is substance use and mental health combined because there is so much co-occurring, and you have to address both your health, your physical health, and your mental health together. And like you said, there's still so much uh, stigma or just those negative thoughts and perceptions when we talk about either, um, which is one reason we really try to focus in on the recovery aspect and those real, raw, personal stories of people who have been there. Does the problem still exist? Because we don't like to talk about it. And a lot of times when people talk about things involving mental health, and that does include uh, illicit substance use that can lead to overdoses. Uh, This is very much on topic. Just stick with us here. Uh, Do we still see the problem of when people do want to talk about it, when they do finally come around to the point to where they'll discuss the problem, it's in a judgmental way? That's exactly right. That's really the purpose of International Overdose Awareness Day. It is to bring together people who've lost loved ones from overdoses, support them, and then encourage people who need help to get that treatment, to really do away with these thoughts of when we think of someone who died by overdose or someone who may be addicted to a substance. We have sometimes this thought of what this person looks like or does, and it's really to 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 shatter that um, and realize, especially with opioids in particular, um, it's working individuals that have the highest impact or rate of having an, an opioid addiction. People in um, uh, construction, people in farming, people who work in industries where they have accidents or they could be prone to getting hurt. Those are the individuals that have such a high rate of becoming addicted to an opioid. And uh, a lot of times we don't think about that. We think about that negative perception and not reality. Well, that's exactly right, because you have someone that picks something up the wrong way. We've all done that at some point, but pick something up the wrong way, messes up their back. They wind up possibly in a lot of cases having to have surgery to get it fixed, and they get prescribed opioids to deal with the pain for a very legitimate reason. But then it kind of becomes a crutch, and they look up one day, and some of them have, have, have an addiction, have a problem, and don't even realize it. It's never occurred to them that they're in that category because they're taking the medicine they need to take to function. But still, it's an addiction at that point, and you have to be careful because that can lead to an overdose and other problems in your life that aren't even an overdose but almost as impactful in a lot of ways. That's exactly right, and that's one reason we try to do – it's really three things that we focus on. One, treatment being available when you need it, so access to treatment. Awareness and making sure that people understand the impact of opioids, how to avoid that addiction, what to do if you do have an addiction or you suspect that your family member may be. Um, And then also really focusing in on prevention, which is where Narcan and Naloxone comes in, where we distribute this to first responders and law enforcement and community providers, to where if you do have someone that you suspect it is an overdose, you can administer that Naloxone, and it can reverse that overdose. So it's really awareness, treatment, and prevention all. And I I do want to focus on this again, because to me, this is the most important piece of this. And please correct me if I'm wrong here. You're the expert here. Uh, 
to me, the biggest part of this is awareness and doing away with the judgment. Because if you have somebody in your life that is having a problem with any kind of substance, and they hear you referring to those dirty junkies and those horrible people and what's wrong with them, how likely are they to step forward and go, you know, I need some help here? That's exactly right. Addiction is not a moral failing. Addiction is a health condition. It is a medical condition that you need treatment and help for. It is not anything to do with a moral failing or you weren't strong enough to pull yourself out of this. That's where we have to we have to shatter and dissolve all of those misconceptions. Our people won't be willing to talk about it and they won't be willing to seek treatment. Um, it, and that's where I think those, again, I go back to those real, raw, powerful stories of hearing people who have lived through these experiences and recovered and come out on the other side is so powerful. Yeah, because, you know, it's nice to have some evidence that it does work. Right. If you do this, it does work. The The problem is twofold. Number one, it's a very steep hill to climb to get everybody to suddenly uh, start adhering to the old good fences cliche that I refer to all the time. Good fences make good neighbors. Keep your nose out of everybody else's business. Let them keep theirs out of yours, and we'll all be happier and healthier. Uh, but to get rid of the judgment, that's a, that's a tough ask. It's not going to happen. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be pessimistic. But it's not going to happen. So what we have to do instead, again, from my perspective, is address the people that do have a problem and let them know, yeah, there are some jerks out there, but not everyone falls in that category. And there are people here that can and will help you without judging you. That's exactly right. We talk a lot about hope. It's being that person that's going to provide that hope. Um, and you never know. You may be that person to your neighbor or the person sitting two pews down in church from you, the person you encounter at the grocery store, because you're right. We can't fix everything. We can't fix it all. But you can provide hope to someone who desperately needs it. I got a slightly off-topic question here. Uh, you know, executive director of uh, the Department of Mental Health. Do you ever go home some days and just sit in this chair and stare at the wall for a while with what you deal with on a daily basis? Absolutely. I have. I've. I've worked with the agency for a little over eighteen years. I've been in this role two and a half years. I don't think I've had a good night's sleep in two and a half years. Um, but but it's also making that difference. And it's, it's like taking the Titanic, and I know a lot of this time this reference is overused, but it's like taking the Titanic and just trying to shift it slightly. Um, and But you can. You can. You have to have everybody on board. You have to have partners. But for all of those cases that you come home and you think about and you go, okay, well, that wasn't fixed today. This one was not able to you know, work out. What are we going to do here? There's a gap in services here. We also have to realize all of the good and the people that are receiving services and getting help that they need. We have to address the gaps. We have to fix the problems. But also remembering that hope is there and help is available. And there are so many people in recovery and walking that road because of the services and the supports that they have. Those supports may not come from the state. I'm not saying that. It may be, again, your neighbor or a different provider, but they got the support they needed. Well, the... Uh thing is, and you've used this word several times, is hope. 
Hope goes away. You lose hope when you focus on your failures to the exclusion of looking at your successes. It's what you were just talking about, basically. Uh, you have to consider both of them. But it's kind of a human tendency. Oh, well, yeah, I did that, and I did that, and that was great, and that was awesome. But did you see this problem over here? That's a, that's a human tendency to, to react to life. And we all have to fight against that. Because that's the only way forward, and that's the only way to have hope is to filter in and say, well, yeah, but there's some good stuff, and that good stuff can happen again. Even some of the bad stuff can turn into good stuff. So it's all about your focus, which brings us back to focusing on the people that want to help you, that can help you, that will help you, instead of all the yahoos running around saying things that turn you off to the idea. That's right. 4,600 people received residential treatment just this past year and stepped forward on their road to recovery. And that's just in the community mental health centers programs, not statewide. 4,600. That is awesome. Wendy Bailey with us, the executive director of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health. We will continue with her when we continue on Middays, live in the Element Wealth Studios next. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. This is a heck of a bumper choice to come back. With Wendy. Wendy Bailey, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health, with us here on Middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes here. Before we get back into the conversation, I don't know if you've noticed, I can get wound up about this topic, but uh, I got something from the C Spire text line. Uh, no, no names involved, but I just want to read what it says, okay? Because this is going to sound familiar to you, and I want it to be something that becomes a familiar sound to other people. Uh, I've been clean for 23 years. If I make it to November 24th, you will. Uh, I didn't grow up and decide I want to lose almost everything I have and become an addict hooked on painkillers. That's a common story. Very common. And the narrative that we push out that people that have a, a problem, have an addiction, are horrible people makes this problem so much worse and so much harder to to fix that's right that's exactly right you know 95 percent of the people who are addicted to an opioid are working age um, and that's one reason it's not a choice you make you don't wake up in the morning and say i'm going to become addicted to painkillers today most of the time it is to somehow either treat pain that you are receiving. Just in 2022, there were enough opioids prescribed in the state of Mississippi that 77% of all Mississippians could have a prescription. So it's something you're prescribed 
or in some cases, as with any type of addiction, it could be a coping mechanism for you for maybe something like depression or anxiety, which is why it's so intertwined and related. But it's not a decision that you wake up just like he, he or she said, you know, I'm going to lose everything I have. I'm going to put everything I have on the line that I love and I'm going to choose this peel over what I love. That's not that's not how it works. Well, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, and you want to talk about coming to you from a weird angle. Here we go, Wendy. Buckle up. Uh, mention, and I'm going to get into it again later in a different capacity, but everyone knows about the term the placebo effect. Nobody fully understands why it works, but we gave it a name and said, well, that's good. Now we, it's got a name. We can ignore it and move on. That functions in a lot of different ways with the human mind, and one of them is what you're talking about. For some people, it's an addiction not necessarily to the painkiller. It's the addiction to having the comfort of having something that you're taking and allows you to get your mind in a different place. It's it's a crutch in, in a very physical way. It has nothing to do with the chemicals involved, with the, with the formula. It's just, in some ways, the process. I, that, that's my feeling on it anyway. That's right. And, and one thing that we're seeing more and more of, maybe that you're taking that tablet for that feeling, but there's counterfeit tab- there's counterfeit pills everywhere, and some of those are laced with fentanyl. Um, and fentanyl's 50 times more uh, deadly than heroin. Uh, so there's a lot of times accidental overdoses as well because you are consuming something different than what you think you are consuming and 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 that's a that's a problem that we're seeing and we're seeing more and more of that as well well the fentanyl you know every time we see another drug bust it it was enough fentanyl to kill half of america in that one and they're not lying that's just how potent the stuff is that's right you know we were talking about narcan the naloxone one reason that we also give it to law enforcement and first responders is not for them only to respond to someone in the community. Absolutely want that. But they can encounter, they can pull someone over on the side of the road, encounter fentanyl in a car, touch it, and overdose. I mean, they need it for their safety as well. you got something else on the ceasefire text line here. They say, it's a choice to take the drugs and it's a choice to get help. And I can kind of get on board with that, but at the same time, there comes a time that it's no longer a choice to take the drugs for some people, isn't it? That's right. Brain chemistry is definitely involved, and it can become an addiction and overwhelming. That's why you do need people surrounding you that encourages you to make that choice to get help. That is right. To get help is a choice Um, and help encouraging people to encourage others to do that. You know, we have a whole Stand Up Mississippi campaign and it's around opioid prevention. And one of the focuses is workplace. It's a workplace initiative. And that is for when you do have people who've had injuries and maybe they're going out in workers comp or they're having to take some, they've been prescribed a painkiller, an opioid, that they can know early on and be able to recognize and then also encouraging those businesses and workplaces to support them as well um, to to connect them with treatment if they need it not just to terminate someone because it is a choice but it's a choice to get help but you really need people around you supporting you for that as well and support in this case uh, would you say it's not necessarily overt as in they come to you and say oh I'm thinking I think I need some help and you go yes good go get it talking about 
if if they're around you and you're talking about somebody else that got help and you go, man, I can't believe they would do that. They've ruined their lives, you know, and start off on that. Well, you're either enabling or disabling their ability to make that choice for themselves and influencing them. That's right. It really does go back to that hope. You can make you have a choice too. And you can make that choice to be that person to provide that hope and encourage that person to get that help. We need a little more positivity. I agree. I think that's probably the best way to to put it. Uh, it might take squirt cheese and bugles to do it, but we can get there. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. I wish you'd have brought some with you. I, I, we should have had this conversation in advance, and then we would have snacks now, I and it would been be prepared. Good. Yeah, we, <laughs> next we, we, time we gotta uh, we gotta work on it. Uh, you know, someone else here. I believe addiction is a disease. Yes. And all disease, as all diseases do, you must make the choice to get treatment. That's right. Uh, we all know somebody that will have a disease of some other type, a horrible physical medical problem, and they don't want to go to the doctor. I'll just, I'll sleep it off. I'll, I'll walk it off. I'll rub some dirt on it and walk it off. It's the same thing. It is. And, and, and to that comment, actually, uh, it, it, it is a choice to get treatment. But let me say this, if you have heart pains and you make the choice to go to the emergency room and to get treatment and get help, you're not going to have people around you who you work with, who you um, socialize with go, they've got a heart condition. But if you have an addiction issue and you go into treatment, it's not the same reaction. So it's also how all of us respond to that person who's making that choice to get that help. Yes, a million percent. I agree with that. And that's part of the problem overall with uh, dealing with mental health issues. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody's afraid to talk about it. When they do talk about it, it's always with negative connotations, which does nothing but make the problems worse, not better. We have to learn how to be more accepting and more positive and more supportive, even and especially, I would say, when we don't think anybody's listening. You're exactly right. Even when we go in high schools and junior highs and talk and junior high schools and talk, we talk about the fact that if you break your arm or your classmate breaks their arm, you're going to check on them. You're going to call them. You're going to text them, social media. You may stop by their house. But if they tell you that they are having thoughts of suicide or they're dealing with depression or they're dealing with anxiety, what is your reaction? It's not the same. It goes even to you get sick. Someone from your church brings you a casserole. They make sure you're taken care of. But you're struggling with depression or addiction or anxiety or bipolar or schizophrenia or thoughts of suicide. It's it's looked at differently, unfortunately, and that's what we have to change. And I do think there's been progress made, um, but we still have far to go. There's your slogan, by the way. You just came up with it. Casseroles for mental health. Casseroles for mental health. Mental health problems deserve casseroles, too. You're exactly right. They do. They do. Yeah, we look at these things health differently. Condition. And I think, and we talked about this before we came on the air, I ultimately think that's why we seem to have a problem getting our feet under us when it comes to funding for mental health programs around the country, including here. Because even even in the legislature, even in every aspect of society, we don't want to talk about it. That's it's right. uncomfortable. We don't. I have a dear friend who she shares her story, and she's incredible. Her name's Sandra. And she will tell you that, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when she first went into 
Mississippi State Hospital. She was told there was no hope for her. There was no recovery. She was going to be in an institution for the rest of her life. That is not where we are today. But there are still people who have that mindset and that thought process of that is what mental health is. That is what mental illness is. And it's not. She's working, living in the community, you know, retired, has children. I mean, wonderful, functioning, successful person providing hope to others. That is what a person with mental health has. When the engine in your car starts missing, do you go get the spark plugs checked or just trash the whole car? That's right. That, that's literally what we're talking about here. And I don't think it's talked about enough that way because people need to understand how much of an impact they have on everybody around them. And again, most especially, the people they don't even know they're having any impact at all on. They're listening. They're watching. They're hearing because it's relevant to them. So, of course, they're very interested in anything you have to say along those lines. Can you hang on for just a few more minutes? Absolutely. Fantastic. Wendy Bailey, we got to get some Vienna sausage recipes next. <laughs> Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, this is better bumper music-wise. Now, now, now we're hitting the groove, Rhino. You're there. Welcome back. Super Dog Mississippi live in the Element Well Studios. And uh, getting dangerously close to reaching the point where it could be described that I am actually uh, holding Wendy Bailey hostage because uh, she's still here. <laughs> and I made her stay. So uh, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health. But this is such an important topic. And on International Overdose Awareness Day, it's a great excuse, basically, to focus on a lot of these things. I want to go back to the text line. And this is the main reason I asked you to stick around, because we got some people texting in, uh, and I want to give you a chance to, to weigh in on this and to get this out. Uh, here's one said, I'm currently walking through this. Was prescribed Xanax for anxiety during my divorce. Had back surgery a month ago and had tramadol prescribed. No one told me it was an opioid. I, I can believe that. Most of the time, yeah, a lot of times, they don't even tell you what it is. They just say, here, you need to take this for the pain and then send you on your way. says, now I'm in trouble and in the process of getting help. It's real and it sucks. That is not an odd, unusual story. It is not, and it is. Uh, he, he or she did a beautiful job in explaining that and in typing that text, because that's real. That is occurring daily, um, and thankfully, they're getting help, and that's that's the hope there. That's the brightness. Um, but you're right. A lot of times, people are taking something that they don't even realize that it can become addictive, um, and they're taking it for the right reason, the prescribed reason. They're following the prescribed dosage. That, again, goes back to there's not this mold of a person who is addicted. It is a disease, and it does happen, and it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. Um, absolutely. So I, I appreciate him sharing that story. Yeah, and I, I have no indication. There's no name here. I don't know mm -hmm. if it was a he or a he she, or, she. Or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, but, yes, and let me, let me just say this. 
I think it's important that people that go through these kind of things, that, that have a story to tell like that, tell that story. The, the, the instinct, because of the way people act, is to keep it to yourself. But that story can inspire somebody else to get the help they need uh, before they wind up, you know, the focus of Overdose Awareness Day. We don't want that. That's we want right. to avoid that completely. And it, it always comes back to say something, doesn't it? It does. Speak out. Speak out. Speak up. Um, stand up, Mississippi. That's the name of the campaign. Stand up. You know, if 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 that person's willing, we've got a website, standupms.org, and there is a section on there for recovery stories. And you can actually type in your recovery story and submit it to us, and you can tell us not to use your name or to use your name, and we can use that in social media and help spread those you know recovery stories, those real stories. Um, so absolutely, a stand up, speak out, tell your story. You and it goes right along with what we say all the time in regards to uh, to homeland security and law enforcement. If you see something, say something. Well, if if you have something, say something. If you experience something, say something. Because it does have another effect. Yes, you're going to inspire other people. They're going to hear that story right there and go, oh, oh, and and the light will go on. But it also helps you to tell that story, doesn't it? Absolutely. It is. We have um, what are called certified peer support specialists in our state. And it's individuals who are on their road to recovery, both mental health and substance use. And they go through a training and they use their own personal lived experience to help others. And they will tell you that every time they help someone else, they are helping themselves as well. Sharing their experiences, sharing their stories, it's something powerful for, for the person they're helping but for themselves as well. Yes, and I want to echo what you said. I want to thank them for texting that yes. that in. Don't know who it is, but that's important, not only for everybody else, uh, but for you. And I want you to take one thing from this, and Wendy, I know, is going to back me up when I say this, by texting that in so that I could read it on the air, you very possibly may have just saved a life. Absolutely. I back you 100%. You made someone stop, think, listen, and possibly saved a life. So, yes. Good job. Proud of you for that. Uh, somebody else says, it always bothers me when I see people go through drug rehabilitation and then they're alienated by their family. That's common. Very common. That's very common. That's what I'm saying. We need treatment available. We need supportive people also. Yeah, and uh, the, especially the ones closest to you. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm sorry, your family, your closest friends since kindergarten, they carry more weight in someone's world than just their co-worker. That's right. They and, you, do. and you can't also think, okay, my family member just went through treatment, and if they relapse, that's not a sign of weakness. You can't give up on them after one time. I mean, this is something that it is a road. That's why it's called a road to recovery. It truly is. Sometimes people can go through treatment, and that very first time, but then sometimes if you've been addicted for many, many years, it may take longer. But that doesn't mean you give up, and that doesn't mean you give up on the family member or yeah. loved one. First time they fall, you give up on them and walk away. I'm hoping you're not the person that was responsible for teaching your kids and grandkids how to That's walk. Right. Uh, you, you don't just go, well, I gave you a shot, but uh, forget it. Now, no. Are, really? 
How could that possibly be somebody's attitude? But it is. It is. It is. I mean, how many people are on blood pressure medicine or cholesterol medicine, and and uh, they do every single thing right and eat exactly like their doctor says and take their medicine exactly like their doctor says? It's it's reality. The uh, And there's stuff all through history in, in other areas. Uh, who was it? Rhino? I think it was the guy that in, was it the guy that invented CrossFit or the guy that invented uh, jogging that died like at 56, something like that. Uh, that. Those are not exact numbers. I don't have it in front of me. As usual, something just popped in my head. But uh, you can do everything right and still have things go wrong. That's right. Uh, and it's hard to remember that sometimes. We have to all remember that. Uh, opioid, opioid clinics, I'm going to say that word correctly the first try eventually, Wendy, just thanks for sticking with me here. Uh, opioid clinics make it hard for a person to transition off of the opioids and onto medical marijuana, for example. Maybe referring to medication-assisted treatment, Matt, medication-assisted treatment. We only have about five, maybe six uh, clinics across the state. So it is sometimes difficult to, to drive that distance or get that treatment that you need if you are being um, uh, put on another type of medication as opposed to the opioid. Uh, got, I got a text in from the person that texted earlier uh, saying that they were going to be 23 years clean November 24th, saying, what I've learned is to help that person but never enable that person. And there is a, a very definite line between those two things. Absolutely. There is a difference in helping someone, encouraging them to get help and supporting them, and enabling them. Absolutely. And... The first instinct is to just try to make the problems go away, and that's the easiest path. And I think we all are mature enough by now to realize the easiest way is usually not the way you want to go. That's right. You it, you got to go over the hard path. You got to go over the hard ground to get to somewhere worth being. We say all the time that um, the road to recovery is not linear. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. It is not a linear path, but it is a path worth taking. There's a lot of misconception to to avoid things like this. And again, it's International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, opioid ODs are a problem. They're a big problem. Uh, but we have a tendency in today's society to look at every problem as if it is attached to a big, shiny, silver on-off switch. And... Fixing it is just as simple as flipping that switch to the right side. Number one, nothing's that simple. But number two, especially this. Uh, I think probably it would be a little bit closer of trying to draw an exact replica of the Mona Lisa on an Etch-A-Sketch while riding a Tilt-A-Whirl. That's the simplicity of fixing some of these problems sometimes. It, was that a bad analogy? No, that's a great analogy. <laughs> that, that, that's how simple it is. And they keep varying the speed on the Tilt-A-Whirl. And sometimes somebody walks up and bangs on the side and says, are you done yet? That, that's what these uh, patients face when they're trying to, to fix this. That's why they need all the support they can get. And it's a much bigger problem than I think people realize. We are talking every 11 minutes in the United States, someone dies from an overdose, an opioid overdose, every 11 minutes. We lost 358 lives last year. Now that was a decrease 
from um, about 491 in 2021. But still, we lost 358 lives last year. Those were brothers, sisters, children, moms, dads, loved ones, neighbors, 358 people who we did not need to lose. We lost in our state to opioid overdose. 358 people. Uh, the number of those that we needed to lose was zero. Zero. Uh, none of them. None of them deserved it. A lot of them didn't ask for it. Most okay. of them didn't ask for it. That's it was right. never a life goal uh, to wind up on that list. Uh, but here we are. And the first step starts with everybody changing the way they look at this, I think. Wendy, I've held you hostage long enough. I've enjoyed it. going to turn you loose onto the world. I'm going to go out. get some bugles and some squirt cheese. Watch out, everybody. There's a ray <laughs> of sunshine headed your way. It's Wendy <laughs> Bailey, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health, on Middays. Final segment of the show on the way next. Keep it here. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Super Talk Mississippi Middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Well, as I was telling Rhino during the break, put a lot of time, put a lot of effort into getting ready for the show every time and uh, do a lot of research, do a lot of prep, have a large line of uh, topics and bullet points and things that we can discuss and go into, tease several of them at the beginning of the show, and as usual, I've made a complete mess of things and done practically none of it, including the stuff we teased at the beginning of the show that we now don't have time to get into because it's lengthy conversations. But that's okay. We did get to talk about Vienna sausages. So it's life is a balance, really, I think. I'm trying to justify this to myself right now. How am I doing? Well, I mean, if they would just perfect that time travel we teased, then we could go back and do it all over again with different results. Yes! I like that. More bugles. I think we would always wind up at bugles with squirt cheese in them. I do, no, no matter which leg of the trousers of time we go down, we're going to wind up at squirt cheese and bugles. I hope. They're a fixed point in time. <laughs> oh, you're going all Doctor Who on me now! <laughs> Don't get me cranked up! I should have brought my sonic screwdriver. I have one, 11th Doctor. I think I have that same one back in my office. It was you, a Christmas present. You, me, and two other people know what we're talking about, <laughs> so that's working out. It's working out great. Uh, yeah. So, anything uh, you wanted to touch on? We, we need to loop back around, we promised. Uh, once again, if you want to give a capsule... Uh, review of the One Piece live-action show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just came out at 2 o'clock this morning on Netflix, and I had a, a moral dilemma yesterday of, do I try to squeeze in a nap and wake up in the middle of the night to watch a show, or do I be the responsible adult and go to bed at a decent time and just get up an hour early so I can squeeze it into my busy morning schedule? So I did that, and I got I watched the first episode. And I was pleasantly surprised because it's an adaptation of a manga and an anime. It's a story from a Japanese author. And 
it did take some liberties. It did have some differences to the story that I've read and, and watched countless times now. But it was it still had that heart. It still had the goofiness and the fun that I was expecting, and I was surprised by how well it was put together. I still got to watch the episodes two through eight, so I may change my mind, but from everything I'm seeing, it's getting rave reviews. So if you've heard me talk about One Piece on the air before, and you didn't want to invest the time and energy to read 1,100 chapters or watch over 1,000 episodes of a TV show... And you have Netflix. There are eight episodes. They're about an hour apiece. You can spread them out or you can binge them like I'm going to when I get done with work today. Give it a try. You never know. You might get hooked on it just like I did. Rob from Pontotoc. Want your social said he'd love a non-communist perspective on One Piece since YouTube's full of them. (laughs) That's, That's all they got to work with, Rob, for the most part. But I wanted to make sure we loop back around to this. Rob is the one who had asked earlier. And, uh, you know, this kind of thing has an effect because by my uh, record keeping here, uh, Rhino talking about it has created 13 soccer fans in the state. So it happens. Yeah, some, sometimes you just slip up and get sucked in. That's the way it works. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, just wanted to make sure we loop back around. You're welcome. He's, uh, Rob thanking us for circling back. If it works for Kareen, it can work for us, right? Uh, but, yeah, glad to. We had promised you that. We wanted to make sure we got back to it because he seemed to be interested. Because that's the point. That's the point of sitting in this chair. We need to be interested in what you're interested in. That's the way I look at it anyway. It should be about you and your Vienna sausage recipes. <laughs> You know what amazes me? Because I have this entire sheet. I have like eight different documents open on my laptop, about 12 different tabs open in my browser. Absolutely none of them had anything to do with food. None of it. And where did we wind up? Tell you where we wound up. Where you were enjoying spending time. So there you go. That was a very fancy, flowery way of saying, it's your fault. (laughs) I'm blaming you entirely that we spent half an hour on Vienna sausages. I will also put a veiled threat in there and say, and I'll do it again. At least I didn't start the big spam treat war. I, I could have started, shots could have been fired there very quickly. And I said that now primarily so that I can sit here for the next 20 minutes after the show's over and watch the text line scroll. (laughs) People get violent about that. Spam versus treat. I'm not even sure what the difference is, but seems to be one. I have enjoyed myself as always. Hopefully you have as well, and we will meet up again soon, my friend. In the meantime, you get ready. Have a fantastic Labor Day weekend, Rhino. Enjoy the next, what, 18 hours, at which point you'll be at the end of the live-action One Piece and have the full review ready. I'll be ready. I know how it works. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. See you soon. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.